Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Preacher's Corner. I'm Pastor Jay, and today we're going to dive right back in where we left off on Friday with Luke chapter number 6. We're going to one of the most misused scriptures by the whole world in all of the Bible, and that's going to be found in the concept of judgment today. And certainly there there are those that I've already heard from who, who would like to try and explain how judgment works, but unfortunately they're half a bubble off because they realize not what the Scripture is talking about. And that's the most common reason why it's misused. It's because uh, oftentimes Scripture is going to be taken out of context because a person sees what they want to see in a particular Scripture, and so they pull that Scripture away from the overall conversation that it exists in, and they use it as a weapon to be able to silence or to be able to cause guilt or, or any kind of other things that they're looking to cause manipulatively to other people. But the problem is, is that the overall context you you must keep in mind is dealing with a certain group of people because of a certain issue that they have. And we're going to cover all that in just a few moments. So to begin this session today, we're going to talk to the Lord asking for his blessings. We're going to dive right in. Father, again, we are thankful that you've gathered us together at this four o'clock hour. We're grateful, Lord, for everything that you have done for the Word of God that you have given, for the Holy Spirit that speaks to us through the Word of God and guides us into your truth. Father, it isn't my words, but it's your words. It isn't my thoughts, but it's your thoughts. For your thoughts are much higher than any man's thoughts, for you are Almighty God. But we give you thanks that you give us ability through the Holy Spirit to make discernment of this truth, that we may receive it to our souls. And Father, we pray that you will just continue to use us, continue to work through us, where we live. Lord, that we may be able to be an impact in the communities and all those who tune in, wherever they live. Lord, that these messages and your word can can build their heart and strengthen their work in the Lord so that they could touch the lives of their communities, wherever they live. And we'll give you thanks and praise for that blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> All right, guys, here we go. The most misused scripture in, in all of the Bible, bar none. <laughs> it's, it's one that you will have thrown in your face anytime you try to share scripture with someone. It's one that will be thrown in your face anytime you're at work and you start uh, talking about something that somebody probably shouldn't be doing because it's going to get them in trouble, and they say, oh, you Bible thumper, and then they throw this one. I mean, the the world is armed with this particular scripture because they just don't want to be bothered by you Bible people. And so, oddly enough, the world is going to use some Bible to try and keep you Bible people away from them. Well, it makes perfect sense when you consider the fact that Satan tried to use Scripture to to pervert Eve in her thinking, and Satan has used Scripture when it benefited him to try and destroy others, such as try and knock Job through his supposed friends that would be 
barking at him about how he'd sinned and now he's got to get right with God in order to get healed by his, by his illness. And they, they didn't realize that he was right with God and that's why he had the illness. <laughs> it's kind of frightening to think about that, but when you do submit yourself to God, these things can happen. I'm just saying, um, your whole life becomes his possession and your your whole life becomes his story in that moment and he's going to he's going to testify his majesty through you even if it means uh, bringing you to a sickbed even if it means that that he's you know he's got to uh, cause blindness in you or you you end up in a situation where you're you're in a hospital or it's it, who knows Jeremiah had to walk a trade route naked for 3 years i mean who who knows Right, Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Okay, he he got spit out on the on the shore of 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 the sea and and had to go to a people who would just as soon kill him, cut him up, and serve him for lunch. The Ninevites than than to deal with a Jew. I mean, who, who in the world knows what exactly God will do with us once we have surrendered our life to Him? Once we have surrendered understanding that that he is our life but there's one thing that i know for certain and that is that god will will watch over you he he will keep you in perfect peace he will keep you no matter what he puts you through there's no question job had to go through it no matter what he allows to happen to you he's still there he's still caring for you he's still watching over you and he will deliver you Period. He's going to deliver you. And so we've got to be a people that trust God once more. We've got to be a people that just put our faith in Jesus. We've got to be a people that live for God so that he can do his work. We're so afraid of his work because it gets in the way of our work, interferes with our stuff. So we come to this place where... Where if old pastor comes up and he says, uh, you know, haven't been seeing you in the house of God for a while. You know, the scripture, it does tell us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, like in Hebrews chapter 10, 25. And you don't don't understand my circumstance. You don't know what's going on in my life. I mean, instead of going, you know what, you're right, Perhaps I've been paying too much attention to the things of, of this life, of this world. Maybe I, well, I just need to talk to you, preacher, because I've got some things going on in my life, and I've, I kind of screwed up, and I need to get this right, And but it cost me this, and so I had to work more hours. And I, Maybe we just got to repent. Maybe, maybe we just got to change some of the things we're doing so that we can we can honor God with our life. But no, no, it doesn't happen that way. <laughs> Oh, you ain't got no right to say whatever you're, you you're judging me. Don't quit judging me. <laughs> or, or you walk up to somebody, you know, trying to share the gospel and say, "Look, I, I are you a Christian?" Say, "I ain't a Christian. I don't need your religion. You're judging me." I mean, right off the bat. Or you asking people, you know, do, where do you go to church? Why are you trying? You got something against my church? You got you going to judge me? The Bible says not to judge. You can't judge me. <laughs> there are so many ways. 
I mean, put in the comments. Anybody out there has been smacked with this particular verse, go ahead and put it in the comments. I would love to see that because there are so many ways that this scripture, it just pops right out of the lost. <laughs> it just, it pops, you know what, out of the lost is one thing, but it pops right out of the the rebellious saved. I mean, I think I hear it more aggressively out of the rebellious saved than I do out of the lost. I do. I I, I hear it more uh, from those who are kicking against the pricks, like like Jesus would tell Paul it was really hard to do. Uh, I, I think those that are under such a heavy conviction of the Spirit, but they just won't quit. They just won't surrender to God. And it's those that that this scripture is, is brought out. But who's Jesus talking to? Is it Possible that all of this teaching that Jesus would be giving to his disciples would be in in direct result of the of the activity that happened when he healed that 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 one guy back in in verses six to eleven. You remember he goes into the synagogue, he goes into the synagogue and there the scribes and Pharisees are and and he has this man and and he seeks to heal his withered hand and and he asked the people because he knows what they're thinking in their heart and he asked them, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good? And then he asked, is it lawful to save life? And so he gets this guy to stand up and he he restores his hand. And in verse number 11, you see that they were filled with madness. <laughs> they were just furious because Jesus trapped them. They, they have to admit that it is lawful to do good because that's exactly what they're expecting all of their congregants to do is good by putting money in that box, but do good. Now, don't get me wrong. We're supposed to put money in that box because it is not to the Pharisees or the scribes or the pastors or anything else that we give that money. It is to God that we give that money. And so this is something that is Scripture, so it is right to do. But they had distorted what Scripture is because their love was for that money going into the box. And so they perverted the teaching of why that money goes into the box so that they could absorb all of it. And so Jesus comes in and he says, it's lawful to do good. Well, you can't say no. (laughs) You have to say yes, elsewise you're a criminal. He says, is it lawful to save life? Well, of course it's lawful to save life. It is never lawful to destroy life. Never lawful. Now, man might have made abortion legal within his world, but it's not legal before God and Christian. Whose law do you follow? Do you follow man's law or do you follow God's law? Well, let me give you a rundown. If you follow God's law, indeed he will keep you within the confines of what man's law is until man's law violates God. Then you will stand opposed to man's law. If you follow man's law, then very little parts of God's law will you keep, but majoritively you will oppose God through man's law. 
And so you'll find that you as a Christian, you've got to make this decision because you're either going to be a Pharisee or you're going to be a faithful. <laughs> That's how it comes down. And and as a child of God, you've got to decide if you're going to follow God's law, be an obedient son or daughter of the king, or you're going to to reject God's law because man said it was okay and follow man's law, and thus you are tr- you're in rebellion to your king. You got to come up to that conclusion and you got to figure it out because riding the fence for the rest of your life is only going to get you into heaven and God saying exactly who are you again? Just saying. So we're dealing with a situation of Pharisees and scribes. We're dealing with the madness that comes out of them because Jesus did something good and saved a life. And and when it comes down to it, after all of these scriptures, a lot of people get their get kind of lost in this idea because you've got the Jesus calling his twelve apostles after he heals, you know, you've got the, the, the twelve apostles and after that you've got Jesus healing a multitude that that he touched, but then he he separates kind of himself, so he's he's Jesus, and he's got his apostles around him that he's just called, and around them are the disciples, and among the disciples are a multitude of a crowd who Jesus had just finished healing, and all of this is happening at one time. He begins to go in the sermon, as we would call the Sermon on the Mount, and, and he's instructing his apostles, but his point is, um, don't be like these religious guys. Don't be like these guys. You follow me, you're following a different path. You're not following the path of the world of greed and of desire. You're following me, your king. You're following righteousness. You're following truth. Don't be like those guys. And so you, you get to this point after he comes through the Beatitudes that, that he has many woes that he, would, that he would proclaim as we had already covered those. And, and then you'd get down to the blessing of loving your enemies, which was a nightmare on Friday. But then we find this most misused. And remember that it is dealing with the Pharisees and the scribes who would often make judgment based on what a person could or couldn't give, often make judgments about a congregation of uh, as concerning how close they were to God because how rich they were maybe, or how close they were to God because of how how well they kept the commandments in the in the scribes or Pharisees' estimation, or how far away from God they were because they were poor, or how far away from God they were because they didn't keep the commandments, that these were a people that, that used every law of the 613 principles of Mosaic law, as well as the Ten Commandments of God, to cause a heavy weight to be applied unto the people that they ruled over religiously, and they, they were they were a, just, oh, these, these Pharisees and these scribes are just horrible. They're just, the synagogue had become a, literally like Jesus would teach in, in Revelation 2 and 3 through John as he was speaking to the seven churches, he would say they are the synagogue of Satan. I mean, it had come to this place where the only God that would be recognized within the synagogues would be the the devil. It would be money, would be fame, would be greed, but it would not be Yahweh. It would not be God. And so, 
their their very principle of power that they held over the people was a power of judgment. And Jesus looked at his own disciples and he said, judge not. In other words, don't be like those Pharisees making these judgments based on your own desire, based on your own power or your own perceived control over a people. Judge not. Now the point, and you shall not be judged, is the very point that Jesus makes unto uh, the Pharisees and the scribes yet once again in John chapter 12 as he refers to the people concerning the law. He says in John chapter number 12, beginning in verse number 46 and going down to verse number 50, he said, I didn't come to the world to judge the world. And that is exactly why here in Luke 6 he's telling his apostles and disciples don't judge the world according to your own will, according to your own ways. I didn't come to judge the world. He said, I came to save the world. He says, if any man does not believe in me, he says, there is one that judges him in the last day. The words which I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. And it's very important because any judgments that you might hear coming from a pulpit are, well, anyway, any any judgments you might hear coming from a pulpit are not the judgments of the person standing in the pulpit if they be preaching the word of God. It is the judgments of God, which is a reality of those things which are to come to pass. And any time that you would you would have a brother or a sister pull you aside and say, look, the direction of your life is inconsistent with God's word, and, and maybe we need to get this right, repentance is necessary, and you flip out on them because you think that they're they're judging you, the reality is, is that it's not their intent to judge you. But if you pay attention, it says, inconsistent with God's word, which means that the word of God has revealed the nature of your activities as being not right with God. There was a judge, and judgment was rendered, but it wasn't the man. It was the word of God. For Jesus said, the word which I have spoken, the same shall judge them in the last day. And we are in the last day days. And so it's very important that we realize the the very purpose behind this judgment Jesus is speaking of is a religion and a religious people that were using the weight of the religion over on to the people, suppressing them and keeping them from being able to know the love of God, the freedom in in their God, and the liberty that he would set the captives free because they become captives to their congregational leadership. They become captives to those who would consistently attack Every little thing that they would do is using the law of God as their basis behind what was right, what was wrong, how we believe you should be and live and act. So that at this point of Jesus's life, you have a whole Jewish community that that is so wholly surrendered unto their synagogues 
that that they would starve their people to death for more tax to be able to live richer as Pharisees and scribes, and the people would do it out of fear that God would send them to Sheol if they didn't give more. God would send them to Sheol if they didn't show up for 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 the parashas and for the, the, the synagogue, the Sabbath. God would God would would send them to Sheol if they if they disagreed with their rabbi. God would send them to Sheol for every little thing as they've been raised and taught that God is this great overwhelming just monster that will crush them under the weight of the 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 sin the Pharisees and scribes say that they're guilty of. And so Jesus comes on the scene. Now you can understand why these guys want Jesus dead by this point. They're just infuriated with him because here comes Jesus. Of course, they're already infuriated with him. Back up in verse 11, they were mad, madness. Jesus says, don't be like these guys. When I send you out into the world, don't do what these guys are doing. When I... When, when, when I come into your life and, and you've surrendered your heart to me, we're not walking the path of the world. We're separating to God, my Father, your Father, as I have paid the price for your adoption through my blood. He says, judge not, and shall not you shall not be judged. He says, condemn not. Well, those poor Pharisees and scribes, they had nothing they had nothing left to teach but condemnation. They couldn't tell you about the love of God because that could set you free. They couldn't tell you about the, the peace of God because that would set you free. They couldn't tell you about the righteousness of God unless it be used in a framework to be able to bring his righteousness and his wrath together to keep you under the aggressive palm of of the the judgment of the Pharisee or the scribe or the rabbis, the synagogue. They they couldn't tell you about the goodness of God unless it was wrapped up in, in the the your goodness in exchange for his goodness kind of prosperity gospel. They they couldn't tell you about these things of God because condemnation is what gives a man power over another person religiously. The very fact that at any given thing that you did or did not do could condemn you would cause you to have to consider the, the teachings of this one person because if you failed your, your duties to the teachings of this person, you could be condemned. And so whole churches even in our society today have been built upon this basis of condemnation where under the banner of legalism of you have to dress this way, you have to act this way, you have to do these things, you have to believe this way, you have to follow this way, you have to you have to keep these tenets, you have to do these sacraments, you have to do these things. If, if you don't do any of these things, if you fail in any part, 
you are going to burn in hell. There is no hope of eternal life. There is no hope of eternal security. You're constantly in a fluctuation of whatever we tell you to to be. And if you fail at any given time, as God has given you his salvation, I don't care what the Bible says. It says it's eternal life. And I don't care what the Bible says. It says once that he, that he gave his life once for all, that if we would receive him, we would be in him secured. I don't care what the Bible says. What, what I say is, if you don't listen to what I'm telling you, you don't follow the way I'm telling you, you don't do the things I'm telling you, you're going to be separated from God because you didn't obey me and you're going to burn in hell. Now, their message is a whole lot sweeter than that. It doesn't come across that way. It just leaves you always wondering if you could have possibly lost your salvation or not. It leaves you constantly paranoid that you're uncertain if you've ever been saved. It leaves leaves you with so much fear about messing up that one of two things is going to happen. You pull away from religion entirely and you say God is a myth and you go off into atheism. Or you you get so overwhelmed and overworked by the idea of messing up will send you to hell that you literally destroy yourself trying to be as good as possible when it just doesn't work that way. And then somebody comes along and says, "What are you? Why? Why are you doing all of this? Don't you understand that there's none that doeth good, no, not one. That 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 the works of righteousness which we have done are as filthy rags. That that it's not according to that which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us by the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And we, it it's it's not of works, lest any man should boast. And the, you you hear these scriptures and you say, Oh, I wish it were so, but I just can't believe it, or I might be cast into Sheol because I'm so driven by religion. And if I don't do what I'm told, I'll be condemned. And that comes from the Pharisees. That comes from the scribes. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save it. Now make no mistake, there's coming a time where if you don't turn to Jesus, you will find yourself under the heavy foot of brass brazen with flaming fire. And you will will find yourself under the righteous condemnation of God. There's no question. But while you're watching this, and in this time of your life, before that period of of tribulation ever begins and the revelation starts, um, understand that Jesus didn't come to condemn you. He came to save you. He knows what kind of a wretch you are. He knows what kind of kind of a, a a detestable creature that you have been. He knows the sin of your heart. He knows the sin in your life. He knows every single thing about you. And he isn't going to condemn you, but he wants to save you. He wants to release you from your debt of sin. He wants to wash you clean and make you whole. He wants to deliver you. Because God loves you. God loves you. So he wants to save you. He didn't come to condemn the world. You find it find it in John 12. You find it in John 3, right? 17, the famous 16, God so loved the world. The famous 17, it ought to be just as famous. For, for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. 
but that the world might be saved. And so it's very important to understand that God's condemnation does not come upon us because he's trying to just beat us to to dust. The condemnation of the scripture comes upon us because of our rejection. Because of our rejection of God. It is not God who has rejected us, therefore he's condemned us and he's going to crush us. His condemnation comes against those who stand in rebellion to his crown, those who stand in rebellion to his authority, and those who stand in rebellion to his will. So as he's come to save and you reject that salvation, then indeed naturally his condemnation must come upon you because the only hope of escape from him is Jesus. So run to Jesus. Escape the condemnation. But man can't condemn. What is man? What is one sinner going to condemn another sinner for? Sin? (laughs) Think about that one for a second. But a person who has received Jesus and has studied the word of God and can see the wayward direction of a person's life, would it be would it be more wrong for them to not bring out the wayward things of a person's life in, in, according to Scripture? In other words, bring Scripture to the life of someone and explain the wayward direction of their, their doings? Or just be silent and let them die in their waywardness and, and suffer the consequences of judgment from God? And, of course, that child of God, knowing that their brother is in it, in a direction of error and not not saying look this is the wrong way that that you know both of them would have to face judgment or would it be more correct for this brother who has seen this wayward direction in the other to go to them with scripture and the love of God in their heart to say, look, brother, this isn't a good direction you're going in. You're separating yourself from the family of God. You're separating yourself from the church. You're separating yourself from Jesus and doing these things that you're doing in this direction. You really need to stop this and return. Now, obviously, that's the thing to do because the Bible says it. And he says you could restore a brother unto the Lord. You could restore one unto yourself. And it's like... This is what we're commanded to do by God, and it's not our judgment, but the Word of God that is our guide to be able to help help each other get, get on the right path. Because how many of you, when you got saved, are going to be absolutely perfect? How many of you that got saved have never gone wayward with God, have never have never departed like for even even an hour from God? I mean, we all need help in this walk call the Christian life. We we need it. That's why the church exists. Why Jesus built this church is because we need each other to be able to be a check for each other because there's going to be times when my brother or sister is going to be getting wayward and I need to to tell them about what, what's going on and, and through the word of God bring them back. And there's going to be times when I get wayward and people are going to have to reach out to me and say, hey, hey, the word of God's, you know, we've got to get you back. And we work with each other and we care for each other and we, guys, this is part of this this work. 
And the judgment is not mine. It is the word of God. The condemnation is not mine, but only to God alone. And so what I've been given to do, what you've been given to do, and what all of God's children have been given to do is love each other. It's so tough. So tough, isn't it? He said, condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. He said, forgive, and you shall be forgiven. You know, we've got a funny concept of this this idea of forgive. <clears throat> With it, it, in a manipulative sense. And mankind are master manipulators. Make no mistake. Mankind are amazing. Uh, we can bend anything to our will if we so choose. Now, some people are not as good at it as other people, without question. But but every human being has a, a, a position of manipulation within their spirit because it is the very nature of manipulation that, that is transferred from the very beginning of manipulation in Genesis chapter 3 between Eve and Satan, between Eve and Adam, and it just keeps going forward to you and I today. Hallelujah. We see that manipulation happening on, on just off the, the ark with with Noah. We, we see that manipulation continuing through with with Lot and, and his two daughters. <laughs> we see that. I mean, just all through the Bible, we see this this power of manipulation, even among God's children through Scripture shows that clearly. We, we find this manipulation going on. And so we come to forgiveness and we consider forgiveness as a tool of manipulation, even if we're not thinking of it that way. We we tend to attack each other with this concept of, of well, you you are not having any fellowship with me, so you are guilty of not forgiving. Of course, in, in saying that a person would be guilty of something, you're making a judgment. But if that judgment was not based upon the word of God, then you're bringing a person to condemnation, but all on your own merit, which puts you in the guilt of actually having to face God. <laughs> but that's all beside the point. We have to be very careful because he starts with judgment to bring us to the understanding of how dangerous we can be in judgment. Then he brings us to condemnation because of how dangerous we say, well, you, you're you not a forgiving person, so you're a bad person. And, and so that brings us to condemnation from the judgment that we're not using with God's word. And then this concept of forgiveness. To forgive someone is to simply release them from from the debt. It's simply to to erase the 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 ledger that that was held against them. As Jesus would say and through the writer of Hebrews in chapter number 13, your iniquity and your sin will I remember no more. As God would say through Isaiah, as far as the east is from the west, so far has your sin been removed from my sight. It's it's an erasure of of the crime. It's an erasure of of the debt, so to speak, and this is forgiveness. And so as forgiveness be rendered unto a person, it is simply to say that that 
what we had in as a problem between us has now been released and it shall be held against you no more and we're done here that doesn't mean that fellowship has to be restored and it doesn't mean that fellowship has to be has to be this thing sometimes just like it was with with Mark and Paul though a forgiveness would be given Paul and Mark they just they went their separate ways Barnabas took Mark Paul took Silas and they went their different ways and and it it isn't always a requirement that that forgiveness being given or forgiveness being received be held as a ransom for you to have to be what I want you to be again or to do what I want you to do again. So that's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness is the release of the debt. Now, if a reconciliation is 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 able to mend at the point of that forgiveness, then amen. If a reconciliation cannot be mended at that point. Amen. Just go your separate ways because it's done. It's released. Forgiveness and forgiven is released. And that that is so beautiful on our side because it means that we carry we we no longer have to carry the load. We no longer have to carry the burden. We no longer have to carry the 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 internal struggle of what has happened. In, in whatever, and it's so funny about forgiveness. We think people owe us forgiveness for a perceived wrong that's been done to us that wasn't a wrong to begin with. Or perhaps we wronged somebody else, but we feel like that they wronged us. You see how loopy this gets. So in, in the, the perceived notion that we've been wronged, even though we might be the one that wronged another, and then they fussed at us, and, and so... And, and getting fussed at, we feel like we were attacked. We feel like we were wrong, even though we initiated being wrong. And, and so we feel like we should get forgiven or we feel like they should forgive, you know, that, that they should seek our forgiveness for what they've done to us, even though we actually hurt them first. We don't see that. And so you're waiting for this and there's this big mess. Well, the reality is, is that What's done is done, and it be forgiven. It's released. It's it's over. It's over. That it be paid. That it be over. But if you can't let go of it, if one side can't let go, then then there's obviously a problem where they've never come to the place of forgiveness. Because if one side has 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 let it go then that that side and what a freedom it is is forgiven that person whatever wrongs have been done has been forgiven and it's been settled done before god and man it's done except for that one who just holds on to it well it's nothing can be said about that i encourage forgiveness real forgiveness not perceived real the reality of judgment, not perceived. The reality of condemnation, not perceived. That's very important. So, one scripture today, most misused scripture in all of the Bible, that we be, that we would bring to you, and and what a joy it was to go over this one scripture. But it's necessary because as it is used out of context, so we must now bring it into context of of the teaching of Jesus. And maybe that can help you today. So, 
We'll just turn this over now to another time of prayer and and ask God for his blessing. Father, we thank you for this teaching and ask you for the continued blessing of, of our day. In Jesus' name, guide us through the rest of this day that we may consider this reality. Perhaps there's someone that we need to forgive. Perhaps there are others, Lord, who need to forgive. Perhaps we realize that we have been judgmental, not according to Scripture, but just by the way we feel. Perhaps, Father, we have condemned others, Lord, without considering the reality of Christ in the Scripture. In in all of these things, may thy Spirit move within us, reveal to us, and teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.